Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to New Phillies Hillside Service, if it's your first time. My name is Emily, and I am one of the intern pastors here. And uh, Pastor Christian, our lead pastor, he is away right now. Um, but Pastor Christian, he's been preaching a series on wisdom in relationships, right? And I think that when a preacher starts preaching a series that's spread out over a really long time, we start to lose focus as to why it is that we're even talking about this, why it's important. And uh, so why is wisdom in relationship important? The very cliche Christian answer is because uh, God is a relational God and we were made to be relational beings, right? We've all heard it. If you've been in the Christian circle long enough, you've probably said it. And uh, it's very true. There's nothing not true about that. But sometimes I think that we say it without thinking. And so um, I want to kind of bring a new perspective on that back down to Scripture in uh, Genesis 1.26, it talks about the creation of man. And uh, it says, God um, made man. When he, God made man, it says, let us create man in our image. Let us create man in our image. God himself is a community of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we were made in his image, that makes us what community beings if we're made in his likeness then we also are made to be community beings and what holds a community together relationships right and so wisdom in relationship is very 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 important and so i want to talk a little bit about our responsibility towards relationship i know maybe some of you guys were hoping to get a break from relationship stuff but um this will just be a kind of a reminder Okay, so turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews 10. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? And God, I pray that today we would have a new understanding of our calling to be community beings. And I pray, Lord, that as we have not neglected to meet, but as we're all meeting here right now in this place, that uh, this word would encourage your saints, and also, Lord, that we would encourage one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to speak to you all uh, in the context of group projects. How many of you love group projects? Like, when your teacher says... Teacher, professor, boss says, all right, we're going to do a group project. Immediately, you're engaged. 
Like you are thinking, you are a kid that was thinking about recess, but then your teacher says group project and you're like, okay, I'm in. How many of people love group projects? Wow. Okay. See, I, I hate group projects. I absolutely loathe group projects. And let me tell you why. See, when I was young, I was a very odd child. Um, I was very quiet. I never talked. In fact, I was sent to the counselor's office because I didn't talk. I was put in ESL, English as a second language, because I didn't talk. I was born and raised in America. I speak English. I was a very odd child. And, you know, when the teacher says, group project, you know everyone in their mind is thinking, do we get to choose our groups? And as soon as the teacher says, you're choosing your groups, everyone goes, yeah, and they grab their best friend, and it's the best thing ever. But see, the reason why I hated it is, one, I don't like to interact with people, and two, I don't have friends. (laughs) And so when the teacher said, it's group project time, and you get to choose your groups, I remember just shriveling up into this big ball of insecurity. Group projects. Uh, I got into high school, and I found the key to group projects. Yeah, it took me that long. (laughs) You had to be that smart Asian girl that did everything. (laughs) Then everyone wanted you in their group. But did I like group projects? No. Why? Because I still had to do everything, right? Group projects. And then there's always that one guy, you know, that comes in and he says, you know what? I'll make a deal with you. I'll do the presentation, but don't make me do anything else. And then he goes up, he does the presentation heroically, like he's saving the day. But every one of his group members who actually did the work is crossing their arms thinking he didn't do anything. And they're drowning in their bitterness. Group projects. I get to college. I'm like, yes, I'm out of that tight-knit community. I'm going across campus, okay, by myself, going to big lecture halls, 300, 400 people. No way are they going to do group project here. But if you went to business school, you know that business school is all about group projects. And so it's group project after group project after group project. Okay, I enter into the work world. Group projects. I come here, seminary, all about group projects. I'm on staff here. That's a group project. I'm an intern pastor. Relationships between intern pastors, it's a group project. I'm thinking in the future when I get married. Group project. (laughs) You know, I've learned that there's no way of getting out of a group project. And if you hate group projects, you're not going to get very far in life because life is just one big group project. (laughs) Some of you who are introverts or like to work alone, I can see it all over your faces. (laughs) This is very bad news for you. So I'm going to bring this back to scripture. Okay. I'm just speaking from the word of God. Uh, Let's look back at our passage, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to I'm going to stress what I'm talking about, okay? And I just want you guys to listen. All right. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we 
have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful and let us consider how to start one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You hear it. Life is a group project. The life of a Christ follower is one lived in community. Now, to take us to this passage, our focus passage for today is actually today is actually going to be the last two verses, 24 to 25. But I want to breeze you through it real quick as to what's going on. And so uh, we don't actually know who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people think that it was the Apostle Paul, but uh, that's not certain. And so we'll refer to him as the writer of Hebrews. And so he starts out talking about how through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we are saved. By his blood, now we get to enter into God's holy presence for free. No longer do we need to bring sacrifices for our sins. We don't have to be this high priest to enter into the holy of holies, but we can enter into God's holy presence because of Jesus' death on the cross for us. Now, what does that mean for us after we enter in? Uh, Through this time of perseverance, there's from verse 22 to 25, there's actually three exhortations. And each exhortation starts with, let us, if you're having trouble finding it. So in these three exhortations, it, it covers what some people like to call the triad of Christian virtues. Even if you're not Christian, I'm sure you've heard it on maybe like a Hallmark card. Okay, Hallmark is a card company in America, but it's faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. If you look at verse 22, it says, let us draw near with true heart and assurance of faith. Number one, faith. 20, oh, okay. You guys can repeat after me if you want. 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Two, hope. All right, this one. (laughs) Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love. Love. Third one. (laughs) What I want to focus on today is verse 24 to 25. The third Christian virtue, which is love. And uh, I actually want us to read through 24 and 25 again. I know we've read through this passage like almost three times now in the last 10 minutes. But we came here on a Sunday. What better thing to do than read scripture over and over together, right? Okay, so let's read from verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, here at New Philly, we don't really have too much problem in meeting up. And, I mean, one reason is, at least for our Sunday services, we take your attendance. If you're a member here, you know that we go through a lot of, actually, tedious work to take your attendance in order to hold you accountable to meeting up with one another at our Sunday service. But here's the problem, is if you're coming here... Just to fulfill your attendance, 
what's the conflict here with our passage? See, when it says here, um, it says that we are to meet together to stir up one another to love and good works, right? And that we are to come and meet together so that we can encourage one another. Agape, love, means brotherly affection. Brotherly affection means you need to show affection towards your brother. That means you need to meet in order to show affection to your brother. Loving one another. The two things, to stir up one another to love, and two, to encourage one another. But too many of us come here, okay, treating our Christian walk as more of an individual project. We just come, do our part, fulfill our duties, and then we go. You know, some of us, we are so uh, focused on building up our faith, holding on to our hope, which is good. But the Bible also says that if you have not love, you are nothing. It says that you can have the faith to move mountains, but if you have not love, you are nothing. So what's the point of meeting then? Because meeting should not just be meeting for the sake of meeting. But are you doing those two things? Stirring up one another to love and good works and encouraging one another. Because in this passage, it says that's our responsibility. And so why do you come to church? Hmm. You know, earlier I said that I was going to speak in the context of group projects, right? So let's do it. What's one of the first things that you do when your professor, teacher, okay, says that time for a group project? What do you guys do? Earlier I said that I hate choosing groups, right? You got to choose a group. Turn to your neighbor and why don't you say, would you be in my group? When we choose groups, what are certain things that you look for in a group? Hmm? Yeah, let's be honest. Smart people. I'm hearing smart people. People you're comfortable with. You know, if I have a weird, strange vibe from someone, I don't want to be in a group with them. People you're comfortable with. People that are smart so you don't have to do any work, right? Yeah. Uh, People that are... Um, have good work ethic, yeah, smart, uh, creative, maybe easygoing. If you're very bossy, you want people to just do what you say. And people that are good looking, hey, even if he doesn't do anything, he's good looking. (laughs) Right? But what do all these things have in common? They only benefit you. They only benefit you. And see, this kind of group choosing, the problem is it takes place also in church. See, and it may not be for that, those reasons. You know, it may sound very holy. You know, this person, his prophecy over me is always right. I want him in my group. This person, I can do my own thing, live my own life. But then when I'm struggling, this, this person will always come and pray for me. I want him in my group. This person will always come to my house when I'm sick. I want him in my group. He cares about me. I should change that to a she. 
<laughs> Not that it wasn't that awkward until I made it awkward. Okay. <laughs> See, we choose groups selfishly all the time. Um, in our passage, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. It doesn't say you stir up one another. If it said you, then maybe it could be a like one-way thing, right? But it says, let us stir up one another. That means, to me, it sounds like there's some exchange going on, right? Um, I'm not saying that when we come to church, uh, we have to invest in everyone, and we have to be friends with everyone, and we have to stir up everyone and encourage everyone. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that we have to get rid of that consumer mentality, that when I come here, it's what you can do for me. What can this message do for me? What can you pray for for me? Uh, to stir up, the Greek word is parazusmos. Uh, parazusmos. And this word can actually have a positive connotation and also a negative connotation. I think the positive one we're all aware of, you know, to encourage. Hey, you know what? You're doing a great job. Continue with the good work. You're doing a great job. But the thing is, is when we speak in love, it's not always positive. There's times where we have to... Uh, correct, reproof. So um, this Greek word, it actually has a negative connotation as well. And it is uh, uh, speaking to someone to the point of irritation, warning, provoking even to anger. Hopefully that anger is momentary. Um, I don't know if you guys know, or know of a guy named Peter Kang. Okay, but he uh, is one of our new Philly members that was sent off to our Sydney church plant. Okay, and me and Peter, we actually go way back. Like, we knew each other about five, six years ago. And back then, that brother did not rub me the right way. And I never sought to uh, have a relationship with him. And then, lo and behold, I end up coming back. So I was like, oh, got to see Peter again, you know? And so... I see Peter, and every time I see him, he just doesn't rub me the right way. He says mean things. And so I remember, um, I'll give you an example. So one time, uh, our, our brother Sam Keel convinced me to go rock climbing. And uh, I was very adamant about not going rock climbing because everyone was doing it, and I didn't want to do it, and I probably suck at it. And I didn't want everyone to see me doing it, but Sam Keel told me, no, okay, this person and this person, both people you're very comfortable with are going, and we'll teach you. If you're not good at it, who cares? And I was like, all right, but hey, I'm in my Sunday clothes, though. It's after Sunday service. I'm in my designer jeans. Like, is it okay? And he was like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. And then we get there. We travel like an hour to get there. We walk in, and there's like 20, 30 people there. So intimidating, like putting on their rock gear harnesses or whatever those are called. And, and I'm, I'm completely intimidated, but the worst thing is Peter is in that crowd. <laughs> and I see him, and I think, oh, what is he going to say? I literally walk in. Within a matter of seconds, he goes, oh, Emily. Do you think those designer jeans are going to stretch? And immediately, every single lie of the enemy was confirmed. I was not meant to be here. What am I thinking? And I turn around and I go home. And I'm so hurt. 
And I'm like, never again. I don't want any relationship with him ever again. You know, I give up on him. And, um, you know, it got to the point where like when I heard he was going on the Sydney church plan team, I was like, thank you, Lord. I'm being really real. I'm being really real. But you know what? I'm saying this because some of you guys have these type of relationships here. You do. And um, you're avoiding them, you know? And uh, what happened was, see, the groups God ordains to be groups, they're groups. And before Peter left, I was in the same Bop group. That's a fellowship event we have here at the church. I was in the same Bop group with him. I was, we would, I would go hang out with some friends and he would be there. And, um, God was really confronting me saying, Hey, this is not loving. You have a responsibility to stir up one another in love. See, the thing is what Peter's doing to me, he's probably doing to a lot of other people too, <laughs> but they're just not saying anything or maybe they they don't care. Okay, but I'm thinking, you know what? I should let Peter know. I should let Peter know that these things have been hurting me. And so I said, I gathered up the courage. I sent him a message and I told him, you know what? Like ever since this time. And I, I said, you know, I'm sorry. I never talked to you about it. It's been so long. But like when you did this and when you did this, like I thought, I felt like Satan was using you to discourage me. <laughs> and, and you know what I received back from Peter was one of the most loving responses. And he was just like, you know, I had no idea I was doing that to you. I had no idea. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be more sensitive around you when I see you. See, the thing is, Peter hasn't changed at all around me. But the thing is, is because I stirred him up to do good works and he stirred me up in love, I actually have no hard feelings. See, God places us in groups. But the thing is, Sometimes we come here and we pretend to be doing life together and we pretend to be in a family together and we pretend to be working with each other. But there's little things that, you know, are are going on that isn't pleasing to the Lord. Some of us avoid conflict and fail to stir up. You know, sometimes we don't get to choose our groups. Sometimes our groups are chosen for us. Family church family, your workplace. You don't get to choose the groups that you're part of. Um, Early, I said I was in business school, right? And there was this one class. It was called marketing internship. And the whole class was a big group project. And you don't even get to go to the class to get your group assignment. Literally, they send you an email before the class even starts, and that's your group. And, uh, that was when I was first saved. So I'm, I have this great prospect, you know, like, oh, I'm never going to have any relational difficulties. I love everyone. Um, this is going to be a great redemption of all my group project failures. And uh, I get there and I just start looking through the list and, and I'm like, okay, like something Hamada, Japanese, good work ethic, totally racial profiling. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I see, kid you not, so one of the guy's name is Jesus. And I was like, you know, like when you're first saved, everything is a sign. And so I was like, wow, God really wants to redeem my group projects, experiences. And I'm thinking, this is great. I'm going to minister to all of them. All of them are going to get saved. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm going to fast forward all the way.
way to the very end of the semester. Okay, what, what that internship was, was they pair our group with a real company. And during that whole semester, we worked together to brand and market this company. And so uh, the, we're, at, we're at our deadline. We're at the very end. And um, let me just give you a little clip of our very last meeting out of like 100 of the worst meetings in the world. Jesus, <laughs> whose name is actually Jesus Hernandez, <laughs> was the biggest jerk in the world. And, and he, he was bossy. Everything had to go his way. Everyone had to work around his schedule. He ruled every single meeting. And at the end, I have a pretty strong personality too. And I took a stand. And I said, you know what? I don't think that's the way we want to do things. And he called me a very mean name starting with a b if you don't know ask your neighbor after service see i was thinking god that was, was that a sign like seriously he's defiling your name he shouldn't be named jesus But you know what? Now, looking back, God was teaching me a very important life lesson. And that is, even after your salvation, life is still a group project. And difficulties are going to come, but we're still called to be Jesus to others. We're still called to represent Jesus to others. Did I quit and get out of the group project? No, because then I get an F, right? You got to, I stayed in the group, finished it, right? But the thing is, is sometimes we do that to God. He puts us in a group, and when something goes wrong, we're out. When a problem arises in the community, we're done. I do my own thing. It's turned into an individual project now. We do that sometimes. You know, who goes to a teacher and says, hey... Thanks for putting me in a group, but I don't want to, I don't like the people I'm with. Can you, can you change my group? All you teachers in here know you would say no, right? Because putting people in groups is one of the teacher or professor or your boss's most indisputable authorities. You can't change your group. You better think of a really good line in order to get out of that group. But the thing is, see, God, he holds that authority in our lives. He puts us in groups but sometimes we just back out. I'm, I'm done with this. And we leave saying it's easier. We leave saying I'm just doing them a favor. I didn't fit in anyways. No, you're not doing them a favor. You're making their life so much harder. You know, they, they're in your group. They can't contact you. Some people, they don't come to church and they just drop off the face of the earth. And it makes it really hard for your brothers to find you because we're in this project together. Now, I'm not condemning those who maybe are finding it really hard to connect with community. That's the last thing I want to do. I'm notorious for it. Okay, I've dropped out of everything. It's the easy solution out of a relational conflict. Just get out of it. I'm not condemning you for that. But um, I'm saying that it's normal to want to give up. But the thing is, when we work together, you're not supposed to be able to give up. Let me tell you, I've dropped out of a lot of things. But the Christian community is one of the hardest communities to get out of. No matter how hard you try to shut people out of your life, they show up at your doorstep. 
like God will place them in the grocery store. It's like, oh, I'm sick. I'm sick. Oh, here's some juke. You can't get rid of them. Why? Because it's their job to come meet with you, to encourage you, to stir you up, to help you build your faith, to redeem your hope. That's their job. Uh, one of my favorite preachers, he said, there's a power of a we and us and an R to keep a you, me, and I from giving up. There is a power in a we and us and an R to keep a you, me, and I from giving up. All right. So we're in a group, right? No objections? Life is group project. What's the next thing that we do? You got to meet, right? You got to meet. We got to meet together. It says in our passage, uh, we are not to neglect meeting with one another. See, a group project, it's not a group project if we don't meet with each other. Have you guys ever done a project before where you never met together? Yeah, right? Everyone has. You guys know exactly what I mean, and that's a problem. Everyone does their own part and turns it in. You know, I'm in seminary right now, and I think seminarians are one of the busiest people on planet Earth. Okay, they're uh, shepherding hundreds of people as pastors. They are going to full-time school, and then most of them have families and children as well. They are so busy. But seminary, every class is a group project, and they don't have time to meet. That's the last thing they want to do is meet with their group. And so what happens is a lot of seminarians, ironically, they just do their own thing and turn it in. Now, I had this one professor. She was notorious for calling people out. Like, you'd be presenting and she'd be like, where's your sources? And so everyone was so scared to present. And there was this one group that got together and obviously they had not collaborated at all. And so they're basically these two guys, they, they present and then the next person comes and he's just presenting the same thing. And so the professor, she's like, are you serious right now? <laughs> next slide. You already said that your teammate already said that. What, what are you doing? And she's like, stop wasting my time. You know, like, and you know what? I felt bad for them, but I was with her. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> And um, I was with her because I could feel, I could feel her frustration. Like, if you're going to do a PowerPoint presentation, you're not going to work together, at least use the same template. You know what I mean? Like, it's like when one person goes up, they present, and the next person goes, it's like a whole new template. Obviously, it didn't work together. And I feel her frustration because if I were in her shoes, I would think, what is this crap? Like, why are you wasting my time? If I meant for this to be an individual project, I would have just given it to you. And you know what? I think that that's the way that God feels sometimes. You know, we come to him and we're like, God, look at all these salvations I had. Look at all these accurate prophecies that I did. God, look how much my faith has grown. And then he's kind of like, I'm well pleased with you, son. Great job. But what, what, what happened to the group that I put you with? Hmm. See, all of us, we are going to have, have to give account for what we did in the body, good or bad. What do you think God's going to say? No matter how much you do, no matter how great your performance is, he's going to be wondering, what happened to the people that I put you with? That's really great, but what happened? 
How are you doing meeting up with your group? See, a lot of groups, they stop meeting because they see no value in it. What's the point? What's the point of meeting? I have other things that I have to do. See, back to our passage, during this time, it doesn't say exactly why they neglected meeting, but we know that they did neglect meeting because it's addressed here. And some of the reasons could include, one, it was a time of high persecution. They could be thinking, I don't want other people to see me with these Christians, maybe because of fear. It could be, another reason is disappointment. All right. This life is hard. I'm being persecuted. Jesus, you said you were going to come again. Where are you? Disappointment. Loss of hope. Another thing, preoccupation with business. I, okay, I got to, I got to be a kingdom financier. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to make money. I don't have time. I can, I can make so much more use of this time rather than going to this church service. All these reasons, they don't sound that unrelatable, right? I mean, uh, fearing persecution, you know, like we all had that, um, uh, conversion experience, right? Where you have your old friends and then your new friends and then your old friends are like, Hey, so, you know, like even when I went home this past month, someone was like, Hey, so you're a pastor. I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. But, uh, how'd you know? (laughs) And they're like, I saw your podcast. I was like, oh, right. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a cool pastor. <laughs> Fear of persecution. Hopelessness. Every generation. They're always like, Jesus is going to come. Where is he? He hasn't come yet. Preoccupation with business. See, we have, we can relate to all of these. But the thing is, we have even more reasons. You know, not only are we preoccupied with business, but we're, now we're saying, you know, they didn't have podcasts back then. Now we're saying, oh, I'll just turn in, tune into the stream. Same thing. Same thing. See, all these reasons, they're all saying that we don't really need to meet together, right? All of these reasons are saying we don't really need to meet together. But all these reasons are only justified if church is only about you. If doing church is only about you, then yeah, going to church, maybe when it doesn't benefit you, it probably is not necessary to go. But what I'm saying is that even when you don't benefit from it, there's still a reason for you to go to church. There's still a reason for you to gather with believers. And that is to encourage one another. If you've been feeling like you don't got to go, maybe it's because you got to start stirring up one another, start encouraging one another. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Habit. The word for habit is ethos. It can also mean custom. Custom. It's custom. It's a habit. It, it kind of si- signifies some indifference, apathy. I can go to church or I cannot go to church. It doesn't really matter. But you know what? This, um, this apathy is not just, uh, a lot of us think, oh, it's because of backsliding. They're falling away from Christ. But I would beg to differ. I think that there are some that have a very strong relationship with Jesus, but yet they still have this apathy. And I was one of them. See, when I was first saved, I wasn't saved in the church. So I never, it took me a really long time to understand what is the importance of church. And, um, I used to live a very monastic lifestyle. 
If you guys don't know what that means, monasticism is like um, church monks, kind of Christian monks that they used to go out into the desert and they just meditate on God all day and all night without any materialistic things. Okay, Christian monks. I lived a kind of, I would say, I lived kind of a monastic lifestyle. I, as soon as I got home, I would. All right, it's not like I took out materialistic things, okay? But I went down to the closest thing I did was I went down to our basement at home. It's like so not material. It's very materialistic. We had this really big movie theater downstairs in our basement, but it had no windows. And so I used to always go into this, this movie theater, close the doors, and I would sit there for hours just asking God, God, like, what are you trying to do through me today? Um, who do you want me to meet today? Who do you want to heal? What are you saying? What are you saying about my brother? What are you saying about my sister? I'd spend hours in this closed, dark room. And then when I would come out, I'd go looking. All right, God said, I need to find someone with a pink shirt. Grocery store, pink lady, go pray for her. And I would do this, and I would see salvation. I would see healing. But the thing is, is that my relationship with God was just me and you, God. Me and you, God. And the thing about that is that I was better at working with people outside of my group than the people that God had placed me in a group with. See, in verse 19 at the beginning of our passage, it starts with, therefore, brothers. Brothers. He's speaking to believers. He's addressing believers that we are to meet together. And God, he's, we are to go out and reach the lost, but we should not do so at the expense of neglecting our group. We are supposed to build each other up and go out and reach the lost together. It's always easier to do things on your own, but this does not please God because it's not an individual project. God wants us to work together, and sometimes that can mean, that means that we have to meet together. All right? And so we have to meet together. What's, you know, like, What's one of the first things that you guys do? Let's go back to group projects, okay? What's one, of the, what's one thing that you guys do when you meet together? One of the first things. Assign roles. I heard someone say assign roles. Role delegation, right? If you don't do this, it's very inefficient. People are doing all sorts of crazy things, and you get nowhere. Role delegation. See, this is really important because everyone is different. In my, in my theory, there's three kinds of people in a group. There's a person that does nothing. There's a person that does everything. And then there's a person that only does his part and then doesn't care about the rest of the team. And so in these groups, we have to have role delegation. I paid my tithe. I, w- I attended church. I did everything that's measurable on my membership covenant. I'm good. Members just doing their part. Pastors trying to do everything. No one's going to pick this up. I'm going to do it. No one's going to do that. I'm going to do it. No one's going to scrub the toilet. I'll do it. See, role delegation is so important. Why? Because that's what causes us to work together. Doing just your part doing nothing, and doing everything, none of that pleases God. Why? Because he did not ordain this life on earth to be done individually. He's called us to be in a group project together. 
You know, we depend on each other because we're all part of the same body. So when my feet need to walk, sometimes I depend on my eyes to see my next step. Right? We depend on each other. Um, this means that we have to give up that I live my life. You know, that I do me, you do you. Yeah? I'll live, I'll live my life, you live yours. If you want to be that way, fine, you, you be that way. We have to give up that mentality if we are to depend and work together. You know, some of us, I was saying that we pretend to be in a group. But really, inside, if you really ask yourself, are you just doing your own thing? Are you really easy to give up on others? Now, I'm going to address something that maybe is burning on your guys' hearts. And this will relieve some of the introverts in this place. I'm an introvert too. Okay? Does this mean that we are to meet all the time? Does this mean that we are to meet all the time? Extroverts! No! (laughs) No! That's not what I'm saying. See, we... We do our own thing, right? We have our own roles that calls for us to meet together. But the thing is, is, um, you know, if you thought about it, what if like every time I had to breathe, my lungs were like, hey, feet, I need to meet with you. I need to meet with you right now before I can breathe. And your feet are probably like, why? I'm busy. You know, it slows down your efficiency. I'm someone who's really bad at multitasking. Like, I'll admit, I'm very bad at multitasking. All my friends know it. Because why? If they send me a text message, I don't respond. Why? Because I can't walk and text at the same time. And then by the time I remember and I'm sitting down not doing anything, I've forgotten that they text me. I literally, like, I'll be, if I get a text message, I'll have to stop and text someone. It slows down your efficiency. See, God didn't create the body that we can't multitask. I can multitask to some degree. It's not that bad. But, see, we're not called to meet all the time. See, some of you love meetings. And some of you are going to every revival service, every church service, every prayer meeting, and you're going to so many meetings that you've forgotten to meet with your group leader who delegated you your role in the first place. Who's that? God. Hmm. You know, some of you have decided to just take on the whole project yourself. You're not seeing progress. Days drawing near. I'm just going to do everything myself. And you've forgotten that you even had a group leader. God is our group leader. That's one thing that we shouldn't forget. And he's telling us to be community beings. You know, it says that um, in our passage at the very end, it says, it says that, we are to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. As the day draws near, when we start seeing that deadline, we're supposed to feel more urgency to start working together. But instead, what are we doing? We're abandoning the group. 
We're taking things into our own hands, thinking that, hey, this, this, is, this is easier. But we have a responsibility to meet up, to encourage, and to stir up. Um, I just want to take this time to pray for some people. If you guys...